Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Our text today is is in Acts chapter 16. So if you would go there with me in your copy of the scriptures, that's where we're going to spend the, the most of our study today. We're in the middle of the holiday season, and perhaps most of us are acquainted with, with, with the holidays comes holiday traveling. And with traveling comes often a change of plans. You may have seen even this week, there were airlines that had to cancel and delay some flights and, and ground other flights Christmas Eve due to staffing issues that there were people and families planning to travel for the holidays and their plans changed abruptly at the last second. Recently, I had the opportunity to travel to Washington, D.C., and I got the notification on my phone. We're getting ready to get the return flight, and the notification comes in, flight delayed. And so I'm texting Pastor Brian. It's Saturday. I was hoping to be at church for Sunday morning. I was texting Pastor Brian. I said, I don't think I'm going to make it to church. I'm still in D.C. And so he, he texted me a, a picture back, and the headline will come on the screen. What happened was, uh, a few hours before my flight was scheduled to go, to take off, an airline was stuck on the runway and, of all things, got a flat tire. <laughs> and you wouldn't expect an airplane to get a flat tire, but it didn't. It sat there and it took them like four or five hours to clear off, to figure out what's wrong and get the people off. And by the time my flight was scheduled to go, everything had been pushed back all this time. So our plans can change so quickly and without any warning. If you are in Christ this morning, I want you to, let's realize that God has changed your plans for your life. If you and I are in Christ, we have a conversion story. How did you come to faith in Jesus? Think about this. That God had to send someone your way to share a message with you. Whether you read it in a book or someone shared a gospel tract. You got invited to a church service through any sorts of different means and methods. You watch something online. But God had to bring to you a message and a messenger. And if you are in Christ, if you've turned from your sin and you are trusting in Jesus today, your life has changed. Your plans for your life are different now. They all come under the throne of heaven. That my plans for my life was completely different. I was on a pathway leading to eternal sin and misery until God changed my plans. He changed me by his gospel. And that's what we're going to see this morning, that God changes our plans and the plans of his people for his glory. And that's through the gospel. John Flavel, he says it this way, In nothing does providence shine forth more gloriously in this world than this. In the ordering of occasions, instruments, and means of conversion for the people of God. So our text is from Acts, Acts chapter 16. Luke has been writing this account for his readers to understand how the gospel goes global. 
How does the gospel get to all peoples, to the nations? We just celebrated Christmas, the birth of Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, he came to earth, fully God and fully human, born of a virgin, and we sang it on Christmas Eve, he was born to die. Born to die, he was the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And Luke is sharing for his readers, how does this good news get to other peoples and other places? That's the scripture that was read in the welcome video, Acts 1.8. That's, that's Luke's theme for the entire book. That in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, we will be witnesses for Christ. So this morning, we're going to... We're going to see, we're going to look at Paul's missionary journey to Philippi. And here's what, here's what we're going to learn in this text. We're going to see how every follower of Christ can be faithful in any circumstance. That's everyone, no matter what we face, we can be faithful under God's providence. God will provide. So I want to begin, before we dive into our text, I want us to give a framework what do we mean by providence? What does that word mean? Uh, there, I read one commentator, he, he put it this way, that the word providence comes from uh, Genesis 22. When Abraham and Isaac are going up to offer the sacrifice, and Isaac asks, Dad, we got the firewood, we got the knife, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? Looking around, and Abraham says, Son, God will provide for himself a lamb for the sacrifice. This is the idea that God will provide. The Westminster Larger Catechism asks this question. What are the works of providence? And the answer, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures. He orders them and all their actions for one chief purpose, his own glory. That's God's aim and providence, to care for, to lead, and to govern everyone and everything for the praise of his glory. And if you are in Christ, that is also our greatest joy, is when God is highly exalted, when he is glorified. So I want us to set, let's set before this, this theme of providence, here are some scriptures there are many that reflect God's providence. And I had a hard time choosing. I've narrowed it down to five. The list was longer. <laughs> Here are five scriptures I believe will help us to set a framework for God's providence. What does that word mean? Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Psalm 135, and verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. That's all of creation. The Lord will do what he pleases. Isaiah 46, 9 through 11. The Lord, this is the Lord speaking here. Here's what he says. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God. And there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, 
things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. The Lord has a plan and a purpose. He is provident. His will will be done. Ephesians 1.11. This is God's providence, not just over creation, but in our conversion. Ephesians 1.11. In Him, as in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Everything, the good and the bad, is working according to God's, the counsel of His will. And Romans 11, 33-36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This is all pervasive providence. This is from God, through God, for God, everything. So R.C. Sproul, he just says it plainly. If God is not sovereign, then God is not God. God, there is only one who is in control. It's either me or God, and the answer is it's God. What are we really in control of at the end of the day? We have seen this doctrine of providence coming up even in these past few sermons. We saw this come up in Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, God is provident. He cares for his people. He provides for them to, be, to persevere to the end. We saw this even in, in the Sunday preparing for Christmas, that God, in his providence, called Caesar to have a census, to move Joseph and Mary to exactly where they needed to be. So this is all throughout Scripture, and especially we're going to focus in on now in Acts chapter 16. So we're going now to unpack this. What does it look like to have a, a view of God's providence to uphold us in faithfulness, no matter what we face? Number one, we see that God sends his messengers. God sends his messengers. Follow along with me in Acts 16, and we're going to begin in verse 5. The churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in number daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. See, Luke's account begins in this section with churches being strengthened. Paul had just finished his first missionary journey, and he's moving on now to other areas. 
other places that need the gospel. But notice what happens here. Paul and his company were stopped by God himself. Think, think about how, how crazy this is. Paul wants to go bring the gospel to other places. God says, nope, not yet. Hang on. Time out. This comes up multiple times in our text. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. They met with resistance. The Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go. The Holy Spirit, would prevent. they were forbidden to speak the word in Asia. So what is happening here is God is closing some doors for them. And he's preparing to open other doors. God in his wisdom is closing some doors of opportunity for Paul so that his messengers will go exactly where he wants them to go. And, Paul, and God does this by giving Paul a vision. We read this in verses 9 and 10. There's this vision that comes. There's this man of Macedonia saying, come and help us. That's where the title of the message comes from, the call for help. Paul is given this vision, come over and help us. And I love Paul's conclusion here. He concludes, well, I guess I'm going to preach the gospel to them. He's staying perfectly on mission. No matter what opportunities are before him, he has one aim in mind, preach the gospel. That was his priority. So even think about as we are partnered with missionaries, there are many needs in the world. Needs for food, drinkable water. There are evils in the world that ought to be stopped, like trafficking. And these are all important. But the cause of all these issues, the cause of all these heartaches and troubles and evil in the world is because of sin. And the only answer to our sin problem is the gospel. So as we partner with missionaries, they do provide food and water and help to people in need. And they present it to them. There's one who loves you in heaven. His name is Jesus. Look to Jesus. It's the gospel. The gospel urges us to go, and the, the gospel is the only message worth taking. So God in his providence moves Paul to Macedonia. And God uses these means, he uses in this case a vision, to bring his people exactly where he wants them to go. A church is needed to be planted, so he sends Paul. But I want you to notice that Paul's, or God's providence does not negate our human responsibility. We still have a task. Paul needs to act in wisdom, and he's going to do so. Paul needed to use wisdom and strategy. So as he gets this vision, he concludes, time to go preach the gospel. So here's what he does. Verse 11, they set sail. That's pretty important. They need to get to where they have to go. They set sail from Troas, verse 11. We made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. So God in his providence sends Paul, you need to go to Macedonia, and Paul in his wisdom and strategy says, I'm going to Philippi. He does so strategically. He knows that he can leverage his Roman citizenship and this is a strategic, opportune place for him to go. Philippi was known for, there was a great Roman battle that happened there. It was a turning point which set the Roman Empire from being a democracy into an empire. And from that moment, it was made a Roman colony. Paul's a Roman citizen. 
He knows he has some influence and some protection there. Philippi, in the, in the region that it was in, was surrounded by gold mines and, was, and had a strong economic and trade presence in the region. And when our text, it says in our text that Philippi was a leading city, at this time Macedonia was separated into different districts, and Philippi was the first one, the first district among the region of Macedonia. It kind of had the charging point for all litigation and things like that. It, was, it set the tone for the whole region of Macedonia. So Paul says, I'm going. That's where I'm going to go is Philippi. And God providently sends his messengers. So not only does God send his messengers, but number two, truth number two is that God opens unbelieving hearts. And we see this in verses 13 through 15. You can follow along with me. So they go to Philippi, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. God in his providence opens hearts and minds to understand the gospel. Here we meet Lydia. Lydia, she's described as a worshiper of God. And what that means is, this is someone who was a non-Jewish convert to Judaism. This is a similar phrase used to describe Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Cornelius was a God-fearer. He, he was a Gentile. He was a leader of the Italian cohort. And God providently sent Peter in a vision to go to him and bring the gospel to Cornelius. So this is so similar to Lydia that she is, she's described as a worshiper. But something's missing. She's missing the gospel, just like Cornelius was missing the gospel. So Paul goes, and again, using strategy and wisdom, okay, um, here's a riverside. The reason he would go to a riverside is because that under Jewish custom, you needed to have 10 men, 10 Jewish men, in order to have and operate a synagogue. If there are less than 10 10. Jewish men there, you cannot have a synagogue. So it's, it's reasonable, and it even fits with the history of Philippi, that there was little Jewish presence there in this time. So these women are just meeting wherever they could. They're down by the river, and they're praying. And I want you to notice that God is the one who opens Lydia's heart. That's the word, the word there, the Lord opened her heart. This word means to open completely or to open what was closed. It also means to make able and willing to understand or to receive. God providentially opens Lydia's heart in a way that she could not do for herself or Paul or anyone else. I want you to see other ways that this word is used in the New Testament. Mark 7, 34 and 35. Jesus, he looks up to heaven. He sighed and said to him, Epaphrathah. That is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Here's Jesus heals a, a deaf 
and mute man. And this is, this is the word. This is what that word means. It opens. He was unable to hear. He was unable to speak. God opened his ears and his, heart, his tongue. This word is also used among any other, many other places in Luke 24, 45. Jesus opened the minds of his disciples to understand the scriptures. So this, this, is, this is what this word means, to open up. And it's God who is the one opening Lydia's heart. And he's opening her heart for a purpose. Her heart needed to be changed so that she could pay attention. She needed to take heed. That's what the word means, to apply one's mind to something, to attend to, give heed, to yield assent, to believe or embrace. God had to change Lydia's heart, and in doing so, she is able to receive what Paul is teaching her, what the message he is bringing to her. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. God changes Lydia's heart. Paul preaches the gospel. Both are needed. The gospel needs to be preached. God needs to open hearts. This is similar to what Peter says in 1 Peter 1, that we are born again through the word of God. And we know that she responded in faith because we can see the fruits of faith. We can see the fruits of conversion. She's baptized. She opens her home in hospitality. This is the case always in the book of Acts that faith always precedes baptism. It is a sign of conversion. Her heart was opened. She received what was said by Paul. She responds in faith. Have you responded in faith to the gospel message? Has, Has the Lord opened your heart to hear the message and to respond in turning from your sin and trusting in Christ? Perhaps today is the day that you would hear the gospel and God would open your heart and you would believe. Her response, Lydia's response, paves the way for the church to be planted in Philippi. She opens her home. Now Paul and company and Lydia have a place to meet and to gather. Which leads us to our third truth. Our third truth is that God sustains his laborers. God sustains his laborers. You see, there will always be some who resist the gospel. There is opposition to God's work. We have an enemy. Satan hates the gospel. He hates the church. He hates when believers, when people come to faith in Christ. He hates it that believers can gather together and worship. And so, Paul had just seen some some success, some growth in his mission here in Philippi. Now opposition comes. We see this in verse 16 through this section. Here, a slave girl with a, a, a demonic spirit is going about and she, she starts following Paul. Here's what happens. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. You see, this servant girl, she has uh, what's in the literal Greek is a, a python spirit, a spirit of divination. Because in Philippi, they had a temple there and they worshiped the god Apollo, the Roman god Apollo. 
And he was then treated in this way as like a fortune teller. And she's going around every day, day after day, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. At first, you know, the free publicity might be nice for Paul and his mission. But after a while, he gets a little bit annoyed. And uh, I'm a little bit encouraged by this that sometimes I get a little bit annoyed. And I'm thankful that there's, there's grace for Paul, there's grace for me. This is what happens. She kept doing this for many days, and Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. That's, that's, that's shorthand for that moment. Gone. No delay. Jesus is greater than all other spirits. God is provident over the natural world and the world that is unseen. So, here in this account, there's opposition. And as this spirit is exercised, now a turning point happens in the story. Because, verse 19, the owners, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they didn't care about the girl. They didn't care about her. They, were cared, about, they cared about their money. Their stuff, their hope of gain was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. How quickly the situation turned for Paul. This is, this is what I mean by any circumstance, the good and the bad. That they, had great, they had great ministry success, and on the turn of a dime... They're beaten and put into jail, but never for a moment outside of God's providence. God does not make mistakes. Everything happens according to his plan and his purpose and his will, the good and the bad. And if you're in Christ, for all who love God, that's, Paul, that's what Paul says in Romans 8.28. For those who love God, all things work together for good. God is provident even in our suffering our trials and our persecution. They were stripped and they were beaten with rods, put into jail. They received great persecution. But I want you to notice Paul and Silas's response. Look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. That's God's providence. Only God in his providence can account for Paul and Silas worshiping in a jail cell after being beat up, beat with rods. They're singing, praying, and they have an audience. People are listening to them. Their, their prisoners are listening to them. Our missionary partners around the globe experience persecution on levels that you and I can only hear about. What sustains them? What's going to sustain them in the, the work that's going on in the hard places? God and his providence. God provides the grace that his messengers 
and all his people need enabled to endure trials and suffering. Charles Spurgeon, he said it this way, Songs in the night come only from God. They are not in the power of man. In the night of a Christian's experience, God is his only song. I pray that these scriptures would work in our hearts to love God and, and trust his providence. That his grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in weakness. And here's just one example. That Paul and Silas were persecuted and they could sing. John Patton was a missionary to the New Hebrides. That's an island chain in the South Pacific during the mid-1800s. I want, this is another example of God's providence in the midst of suffering and persecution. The island, the island natives that he ministered among practiced murder and cannibalism. Patton went and traveled to these islands, preaching the gospel, he and his wife. And then sadly, he, he experienced great loss there shortly after arriving. His newborn child and his wife had passed away. And yet he stayed to preach the gospel to, he, in his account, he said he arrived to the New Hebrides and he said, I claim this land for the gospel, for the glory of Christ. And I want to share with you just one account of an example of God's providence, the sustaining of his laborers, God's laborers. Listen to this account from John Patton, his autobiography. They, that is the cannibals, encircled us in a deadly ring and one kept urging another to strike the first blow or fire the first shot. He was surrounded by a group of cannibals. And here's what he says. My heart rose up to the Lord Jesus. I saw him watching all the scene. My peace came back to me like a wave from God. I realized that I was immortal till my master's work with me was done. He continues, The assurance came to me as if a voice out of heaven had spoken, that not a musket would be, would be fired to wound us, not a club prevail to strike us, nor a spear leave the hand in which it was vibrating to be thrown, not an arrow leave the bow, or a killing stone the finger, without the permission of Jesus Christ. Whose is all power in heaven and on earth? He rules all nature, animate and inanimate, and restrains even the savage of the South Seas. Patton could labor in the island of cannibals because God was provident to sustain his laborers. And Patton could trust God's providence that whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth. If they're going to throw a spear, and if this is my time, then I will go, and I have labored for the gospel here. If not, I will remain. I will remain until God's done with me. I believe Paul and Silas had that same view of God's providence. If they believe that God can open the hearts of unbelievers, then a little time in jail is, is nothing for God, nothing for God's providence. God and his providence gives grace to sustain us in trials and hardships. He also uses, he orchestrates trials and suffering for our good and his glory. This is the story of Joseph. 
that Joseph would say that after being sold into slavery, betrayed by his brothers, that Joseph could say, God meant it for good, the saving of many people alive. God planned the crucifixion for his glory and our good. Acts 2, 23 and 24. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. There's two parts. God's sovereignty, our responsibility. God planned the crucifixion. It was at the hands of lawless men. And we need verse 24. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It was impossible for death to contain Christ. He rose from the dead on the third day. This is the kind of view of providence that we need to, in order to be sustained in times of trial and suffering. Acts 4, 27. For truly in this city... They were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God planned the crucifixion of Jesus, the worst sin in the world, for his glory and our good, our eternal, everlasting good. God is provident and will sustain his laborers in every situation. We can be faithful because God will uphold us. God planned for Paul and Silas to go to jail that day in Philippi because there was a jailer who needed the gospel. So not only is God provident in sending and opening and sustaining, but God is provident in that God transforms lives. That's our fourth truth. God transforms lives. Look at verse 26, Acts 16. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. I want you to notice this. This is, this is the climax of the story. This is the high point. If God can open hearts, jail doors and shackles are nothing for his great power. I believe that either the even greater providence is that all the prisoners stayed in their places. They didn't run away. They stayed where, they, where God exactly planned for them to be. Because these prisoners needed to stay in their places so that the jailer would not take his life. That as Paul was able to call out to him, Hey, hold up. We're all here. Only God can break the prison bonds physically and only God can break the bondage to sin that traps our hearts. And praise God that he is provident and gracious and merciful to do so today. So the jailer comes in, verse 30. He brought, he, he brought lights in or he, he 
brought them out, Paul and Silas, and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a question. I want to hear people ask that question. I want to be able to answer that question when people ask me. And for us as a church, this is how we grow in courageous evangelism. We are ready to give an answer to all who ask us. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul, verse 31, they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. Here's the jailer. Think about this. Here's the jailer asking prisoners how to be saved, how to be set free. It's likely that this jailer would have heard the slave girl shouting day after day, these men proclaim to you the way of salvation. He would have been aware of something of what was going on. And then the fact that they were worshiping and the earthquake happens and all the prisoners stay in their places, God is providently working out for the transformation of this jailer's life. When the jailer asks, what must I do to be saved? He's not talking about the the legal penalty because in Roman law, a jailer, would, a jailer would be responsible for all of the people in his jail. And if anything were to happen to those prisoners, he could be found liable for their punishment. Meaning, if the prisoners didn't get punished, you only have the jailer left and somebody's going to get punished in the Roman Empire. So that would be him. He's not asking that question. He's not talking about his, his legal penalty from the Roman Empire because he knew already the prisoners were all in their places. He's talking about, what must, I, what must I do to be saved spiritually from my sin? He had heard the, the servant girl. He had seen God's providence in the earthquake. And he's exactly where he needs to be. God has him make perfectly for his point of conversion. And there's Paul. He's ready. Ready to give the same message he was in, in Philippi when he meets with Lydia. It's the same gospel message. He opens the word of the Lord to him. Listen to this quote from John Flavel. The committing of a godly man to prison has been the method of providence to save the soul of a poor keeper that is a jailer. Paul was made a prisoner to make his keeper a spiritual free man. So Paul moves right to the gospel. How, are any, how is anyone to be saved? Believe. Look to Christ in faith and faith alone. Faith and repentance are the wings that, that's what Spurgeon said, the two wings that carry us to the Savior. Faith and repentance. Faith is the means, it is the vehicle. Faith doesn't earn us salvation. It's the humble cry of, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I'm trusting, I'm relying upon, no longer myself, but I'm relying upon another. I am relying upon Jesus Christ to save me from my sin. Is that your testimony? I pray that it is. Think about this. The Philippian jailer was on the road to eternal hell until God brought Paul and Silas into his jail. He caused an earthquake, kept all the prisoners in their places so that the jailer would come and ask a question. There is the gospel given by Paul. God would open his heart too. He goes from everlasting misery to eternal joy 
Verse 33, the, the jailer, he took them in the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. He was baptized at once, he and all his family. Verse 34, he brought them into his house, set food before them, and he rejoiced. He rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. He went from misery on the road to hell to joy, rejoicing. Jesus saved me. He's had mercy on me. He, goes, he rejoices with great joy. That was the Magi. We heard that on Christmas Eve. This kind of life-changing joy comes from God transforming lives for his glory. This is the kind of joy I want to be clear in my life and our, as a church family that's clear to those around us. So we've seen that God opens, he sends, he sustains, God transforms lives, and fifthly and lastly, God advances the church. God advances the church. This is verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrate, magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. See, Paul, the magistrates come and say, all right, you've served your time. You can leave now. And Paul, in boldness, opposes their offer. He does so leveraging his Roman citizenship. This is why he went to Philippi. Having citizenship is important. It offers great advantages. But Paul would not forget that he's a citizen of heaven first and a citizen of Rome second. He could use it to his advantage, but he was concerned primarily about the church. You see, they were condemned and arrested and beaten with no charge. Their charge the, that the owners brought to them, they claimed was of a conversion laws in Rome, breaking the Pax Romana, bringing some property rights. But Paul did nothing wrong in saving the slave girl. And the church needs to be protected too. Paul wanted the church that had been started here in Philippi to have a good reputation. So he calls the magistrates in and says, no, 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 you gotta, you got to walk out with me here to show that we're in right standing. The church did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. It's no shame to, the, no shame to Christ, no shame to the church. We're on the same page here. You can walk, you can walk me out. And he does so. Who would want to mess with the church after that? That the magistrates who had beaten you are now walking you out. So the church is protected. And verse 40, Paul and Silas prepare to leave. Before they do, they went out of the prison and visited Lydia and encouraged them and departed. So they went and they visited the church one more time to encourage them before they leave. This is how the church gets advanced. Through boldness 
and through encouragement. And God is provident over all of it. There was no church in Philippi when Paul sailed for Macedonia. But when he leaves, there's a new church planted and growing stronger. Paul loved the church at Philippi. He would later write to them and encourage them even more in a letter. It's a letter to the Philippians. I want you to hear Paul's letter, the beginning of Paul's letter that he wrote to them. Philippians 1, beginning verse 3. This is how Paul viewed the Philippians. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you are all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. They're partnered together. They saw how the gospel started with Paul in jail. They're partners with him. I am sure of this, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's God's providence. Here again, God is provident to preserve and sustain his people from the day of Christ until Christ returns. Verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. That's a bold statement for the church there. They came to the defense of Paul and to confirm the gospel. Verse 8, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and be and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now look at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. This is, an, this is a view of providence over all of life. That Paul could look at his time, in, and this was a different imprisonment by the time he's writing this letter. But this is really, this describes our whole text. That what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. That Paul's imprisonment here in Philippi was for the advancement of the gospel. He continues. Verse 13 so it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. When we have a view of God's providence that is all-sustaining through every aspect of life, this is what will strengthen us to be bold to share the word of God. This is how churches get planted. When we so view the gospel that no matter what we face, good or bad, we will take the gospel and advance it. This is why we partner with missionaries. This is why we partner in planting churches. For the gospel to be advanced, and we cannot do it unless God is sovereign over everyone and everything for his glory. So by way of summary, every follower of of Christ can be faithful in any circumstance under God's providence because God is provident to uphold us 
Five ways God sends his messengers. God opens human hearts, unbelieving hearts, sinful hearts. God sustains his laborers. God transforms lives. And God advances the church. Some questions to reflect upon as we close. How have you responded to the gospel message? That this gospel is for us and it is for us to share with others. Have you come to the point of seeing your sin the way God sees your sin, deserving of the death penalty? Yet Jesus died in our place. Have you come to the point of trusting in Jesus alone, that he is gracious to save you and forgive you if you turn to him in faith? Secondly, what is our next step in making disciples purposefully? What is our next step as a church family and as individuals to be about making disciples that is taking the gospel where God sends us in our workplaces and of the relationships that we have that lives might be changed and transformed for his glory and for our joy. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, you are so good. You are provident. Your grace is sufficient. I thank you that you care for us, that you care for all of creation. You give rain. You give food. You give new life in Christ. I pray that as this message goes out, that you would, settle, you would open our hearts and settle upon our hearts that you truly are sovereign over everyone and everything, that your providence is for your glory and for our joy. I pray that we would see you sovereign in the gospel and our coming to faith in Christ, that we can persevere and be upheld to the end because you are the one who opens our hearts. Thank you for your word. Thank you for our church. I pray that you be glorified now as we worship and as we give. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like and share this message we want you to always remember that you are loved